we're not in the great outdoors, we're thinking about it. Kender Outdoors. Come on into the camp house and make yourself at home. Hey, welcome to our campfire here at Kinder Outdoors. What an honor to have you join us. Front door to the camp house brought to you by our friends at Forta Flora from Purina Veterinary Diets. Forta Flora, America's number one canine probiotic. Safe enough to use with weaning puppies. Safe enough to use every day for dogs with chronic GI upset. Order Forta Flora from Chewy.com. We've got a camp house full of great guys today. Corey Mason is no stranger to uh, Kinder Outdoors. He, by my request, joins us quite often. He's a really smart guy. And today, I've asked him to recall a dove study he did when he was a wildlife biologist for the state of Texas. A lot of folks dove hunting right now. And what he discovered in his very comprehensive dove study is really interesting stuff. He's going to tell us about it. You see Marcus Spears on television all the time. He is a NFL analyst for ESPN. He had a very successful career in the NFL after standout years at LSU. But today, he's talking about fishing. That is the real passion with Marcus Spears. You're going to enjoy it. Settle in. Grab yourself a cup of coffee. And thanks for hanging out with us at Kinder Outdoors. Before I talk to Corey Mason about his dove study, I want to, Corey, welcome you back to the show, first of all. Good to be with you, Billy. I want to talk for just a minute about a lion that was legally hunted uh, not long ago in Africa. Uh, And some animal rights people, uh, they claim to be animal rights. They are actually very wrong. New York Post ran a story, and a few people ran a story about this lion. You know, they gave him a name. They humanized him hogwash. Tell me a little bit about what took place. You bet. So there's a couple of sort of themes taking place here at the same time. Like you mentioned, a a wild lion that did not respond to a name, did not have a name, but was given a name uh, from an animal rights perspective, an organization's perspective, to try to humanize this this wild animal. Uh, This animal was legally hunted uh, by Zimbabwe law. Uh, All was on the up and up, all good. Um, But yet it is an attempt by the anti-hunting community to create a media firestorm by trying to villainize a legal regulated hunt that is that is done to manage Africa's wildlife, in this case Zimbabwe's wildlife. The hunt is sanctioned by Zimbabwe National Parks, occurred on a, a concession that is leased from the government. So everything about it was proper and correct and in fact bidding benefiting local community and local communities, but yet parallel to that, the story that is not told by these animal rights organizations is the loss of human life that occurs in these same areas. And so it certainly gives the appearance, at least, of the fact that these animal rights organizations value the life of a lion over the life of a man that was killed in this same area recently, and not too long ago, three children that were killed and eaten as well as they were taking care of their cattle. Yeah taken out by wild animals, lions, etc. That's exactly right. Killed by lions and just daily human wildlife conflict that occurs in rural Africa. You know what? Sometimes a rabid dog comes down the road and there's nothing you can do but shoot him. And I know that's hard for some people to swallow, but it's it's the way the world works. Uh, life and death have been here from the get-go. That's the way God built it, and it's not going to change. We have to manage these critters. That's exactly right. And when you look at uh, when you look at rural Africa, where these, where these, in the particular case here, where we have 
human-wildlife conflict that occurs on a daily basis between lion, leopard, uh, certainly elephants, uh, crop raiding, destroying houses, threatening lives, all those kinds of things. In every single case, humans do not adapt with those species of wildlife because they simply cannot. So at the end of the day, the animals are the losing end of that. And so instead of incentivizing local people's willingness to cohabitate as best they can with these animals, when they dehumanize, you know, these kind of events and they make they devalue people specifically, it just further divides, you know, wildlife conservation there. And that's why organizations like DSC, we work with rural people to reduce human wildlife conflict. We you know we work with building these solar powered lights to reduce and sort of confuse predators so they don't come in at night into the bomas or corrals and try to eat livestock, cattle and sheep and goats um, and try to incentivize the ability from sound devices or whatever it might be to, to reduce human wildlife conflict because they occur and in areas where they occur like when a lion takes livestock and certainly people, well local people respond just like I or probably you would that it's going to be a retaliatory killing, it's going to be a poison in a water source, it's going to be whatever it can be to keep that from happening again. Yeah. Hunters are so ethical and on the up and up, and we are the primary dollars uh, for conservation around the globe. Uh, any idea, do you know what this lion hunt sold for? I, I don't know what that's. It was a lot of money. It's a lot of money. It's tens of thousands of dollars, certainly. That go to conservation. I was talking to a good friend of mine. You might know John Dickerson. I think he's a life member of uh, Dallas Safari Club. He just returned from Safari, and while there, they spotted a poacher uh, carrying his snares. I mean, just broad daylight in your face. It's bad. It's bad. And those snares, what people don't understand is it is indiscriminate killing, game, non-game. Um, and, and that same group of poachers that are putting out snares would also be illegally harvesting wood. They would be putting seines in the streams to catch fish. They would take bird and eggs, anything they can do to sell their poacher or plunder. And so, yeah, it is indiscriminate killing. They, uh, they actually had a, I'll just leave it at this, they had a conversation with that fella, and he's not poaching right now. Understood. That's yeah. exactly how it works. There you go. That's right. Hey, if you have time to hang around, I'm going to call on your biologist side a little later, wildlife biologist side, you did a very comprehensive dove study a number of years ago when you worked for the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department. Hey, it's dove season. I want to go back and relive that. That sounds great. Let's talk about it. I'm Craig Boddington. When I'm not in the great outdoors, I'm thinking about it at Kinder Outdoors. It's time to get doves and ducks on your mind. And, hey, deer season is just around the corner. Ramp it up this year with help from Marksman Firearms in Mansfield, Killeen, Wichita Falls, and Granbury. Rifles, pistols, shotguns, ammo, and accessories. Marksman makes it easy, too, with same-as-cash 90-day layaway. Military and first responders enjoy a 10% discount. New to shooting? No problem. Marksman Firearms has knowledgeable pros that love to help. Make your mark at Marksman. MarksmanFirearms.com at Classic Chevrolet Grapevine. We know all about the early morning memories made in the cab of the truck. Because it's fun to um, be able to uh, do something with my dad and my older brother. So what time did you have to get up this morning to uh, to get all the way down here dressed and fed and ready to go? 4.30. 4.30. Don't you normally get up about 4.30, though? Mm-hmm. No. no way. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's fun, though, when you're coming out to the dove field to get up that early. It's kind of exciting, isn't it? Yes. There you very. go. Did you see your daddy shooting at that dove right then? Yes. Do you see that dove still flying? Uh, probably. <laughs> At Classic Chevrolet in Grapevine, Texas. 
We know that the cab of the truck is a special place. It's where family heritage is carried down the trail. Important things happen here. Trusted conversations, understanding smiles, life's victories and laughter, sometimes tears. We're honored to ride along with your family. ClassicChevrolet.com. Hey, I'm Billy Kinder. If you offer goods or services to the outdoorsman or woman, Kinder Outdoors is the perfect place to spread the word. At Kinder Outdoors, we reach tens of thousands of hunters, anglers, and outdoors folks each week that would appreciate hearing about you. For more information, visit KinderOutdoors.com and click the Advertise button. Then view our media kit and give Audra a call. Outdoor gear and skills are in high demand right now. Let us hear from you. There's a place I love to go in the pristine Texas Hill Country that features first-class lodging, outstanding cuisine, world-class wing shooting, the best free-range access deer hunting in the world, my favorite, by the way, plus native whitetails and turkey, and some of the most comfortable hosts that you've ever enjoyed. Don't forget to throw in the fly rod. You'll want to experience the crystal clear waters of Joshua Creek and the Guadalupe River. Rolling hills and Texas live oaks, friendly smiles, and spring-fed waters. Orvis and Beretta agree that Joshua Creek is one of the finest hunting and shooting ranches in existence. And I think you will, too. You won't find a prettier place to get married. And our staff and facilities will make your corporate event, family reunion, or private party turnkey and the best you'll ever experience. Joshua Creek Ranch in the historic Texas Hill Country between San Antonio and Fredericksburg. Want to go? Of course you do. JoshuaCreek.com Introducing Canyon Valley Provisions. Grass-fed beef is high in omega-3s and conjugated linoleic acid, which is known as CLAs. In layman terms, it's a type of fat that your body can use, and it doesn't damage your heart or any part of your vascular system. Buy better beef for your family. We manage holistically, or some people call it regeneratively. We want everything that we do to be a part of our good stewardship of the land. We think that's what God's put us here to do, so... The cattle are healthy and the land's healthy. We want both. We don't want one or the other. If you were to buy a grass-fed, grass-finished steak by the pound, you'd pay anywhere from 18 to $30 a pound. But if you buy a quarter, half, or whole, you're ranging from anywhere $7.80 and below. So you're paying a third of the price for that steak and, you know, those good cuts. And you get a whole lot more bang for your buck when you buy in bulk. Don't let 2020 happen in your home again. CanyonValleyProvisions.com Raising cattle in West Texas for five generations. Shh! I'm looking at a 12 with a 10-inch drop time. Y'all go on inside with Kinder Outdoors. Calming care for my friends at Purina has been the perfect remedy for a lot of folks with overactive dogs, over barkers, over jumpers, the nervous dog. Calming care. It's gentle. It's not a drug. And it works over time. Learn more when you come see me at kinderoutdoors.com. Marcus Spears and I got together back during the Bassmaster Classic out at the lake and had a good visit. Marcus played defensive end at LSU, where he was an All-American. The Dallas Cowboys drafted him in the first round of the 2005 NFL Draft. He also spent some time with the Baltimore Ravens during his eight-year NFL career. But his passion is fishing, and more specifically, crappie. Enjoy Marcus Spears. 
Marcus Spears, I tell you what, if the fight breaks out at the bass tournament, brother, you're on my team. <laughs> I got you. Trust me. We tossing people. We go and we trying to find our way out. We ain't trying to hurt nobody. I just got to remove people so we can get out of here. Yeah, we just need a pathway. Need That's a and you you can do that, I'm man. Yeah, just, yes, you are. You've done that a long time. Something else you've done a long time is enjoy God's great outdoors. You love to hunt and fish and get outside. Yeah, it, it, it's the best thing for me. Um, the peace of mind to get away from the hustle and bustle and to actually get out and not I, I'm one of those fishermen I don't have to catch anything the water is my refuge being on the water but when I do catch something now it's amazing because I'm already thinking about how I'm going to season it coat it and fry it right out of the water so but but man the, the peace of mind I started this with my grandfather he started me in it and I just wanted to carry on that tradition. Now my son is fishing. And you know how it is. It's a generational thing, man. And when you introduce your kids to the, to the outdoors, it seems like they mature a little bit better. I don't know what it is, but they do. Um, so, yeah, for me, it's, it's always it's home. It's yeah. home. That's his, that's how I can explain it. It's God and it's home. Period. Yes, absolutely. Yep. His great creation. Now, all it. we can do is mess it up. That's it's it. Perfect. And when you just go sit and look at it, it does good things absolutely. for us. Absolutely. Absolutely does. Uh, let's get back to that cornmeal, salt, and pepper just a minute, okay? Because <laughs> I've got I've got some brush piles with uh -oh. those fourteen inch oh my crappie, those slabs sitting on it. Tell me about growing up and catching crappie. I, I know you. I know you did. I mean, how how much time we got? <laughs> Listen, it, it is. Uh, I love I love bass fishing. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Um, but if I'm on the water, I'm chasing crappie. <laughs> and from being from Louisiana, we call them sackalay. Yep. And that's what I grew up with fishing for with my grandfather, brim and sackalay. Yep. But sackalay especially, and I tell people all the time. If you haven't had sackalay, you haven't had the best fish in the water. I don't care if it's salt water, yeah. fresh water. I don't care if it's water that's upside down, green water, clear water. If you haven't had crappy, you haven't had the best tasting fish in the water. But for me, just seeing that jig and feeling that thump, it just it's a difference. It's, it's, like I, I, I watch these guys bass fish, and when them bass hit that top water, I know that's adrenaline and excitement. Oh, yeah. I'm sitting down. I'm letting that jig pop. And I'm just slightly moving that wrist. And when that thing, boom, it's yeah. time. Yeah. And then when it's coming up, you see it. Yes. And it's like, oh, my goodness. Hey. You think about the grease, yeah. the Louisiana fish fry that I put on it. Man, it is. Listen, I, it's the best. It is the best. It's and, the best. you know, I, I don't know. I never knew this until right now, but you may be my brother from a different Yeah, way. man. Because I'm I, you. Hey, I love to bass fish. It's fun. But put me on a brush pile with about 600 crappie sitting oh, on that thing down there, oh, and I would goodness. just sit there and wear them out. And, and 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 ain't it ain't it ain't it so good when you find that hole? Oh yeah. And it's just you just you just fishing. You just sitting there and you know what's gonna happen. You're not thinking it's gonna happen. You know what's gonna happen. And you're sitting on top of it of it, and you got the boat well positioned, yeah. and and even the people on the back of the boat catching crappy and sackling. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's when you know it's on. All the way around. You betcha. You know, sometimes you uh, you meet a celebrity. I have them on the show all mm -hmm. the time, and and you can tell they're not quite there. <laughs> they fish, <laughs> but they. You are a fisherman that's got some celebrity. That's yeah. you're the real deal. Yeah, I man, I, I listen. This, this this for me is the most natural thing because it's the first thing I started learning when I was young. Yeah, With that 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 carried some responsibility. Right. Um, and, and not to be too serious, if you ain't had crappy, 
you got to have it, and yeah. then you'll go you'll go fish for them. Exactly. I mean, that for me, it was, all right, that's a crispy piece of fish, <laughs> and it tastes really good, and I want to eat some more, and you can't buy it from the grocery store. No, you so you got to put in the work to go get them. you got to catch them, most big old red ear brim that we go out to Caddo Lake oh. there on the Louisiana border oh. and, and catch. You know, you get up on a wad of those, a big bed of yes, those sir. in the summertime, Marcus. Yes, sir. Mercy. Yes, sir, and you fry them whole. Yes, you, <laughs> you just got them, roll them, roll them and fry. Oh man, we did it so many times. My grandfather, my grandfather would catch them. We'd catch them, and that next morning, or even the morning when we get back, if we had a good early morning when we get out there like five thirty, and we done at like seven thirty. Yeah. Man, my grandmother fried them things with some grits. Listen, I'm, I'm, look, God bless you, Grandma. She up there in heaven right now, probably frying some crappy, man. Shoot, it was, it, but, but that's where, that's where it, it all starts for me. Yeah. And, uh, it, it's more than just fishing. Yeah. And if you listen, if you hear anybody that fishes and, and has it as a passion, it's always more than just fishing. Right. Yeah. yeah. Hey, how about hunting? Did you spend much time in the woods growing up down in Louisiana? I absolutely did. Yeah. And we, we ran rabbits. Oh yeah. I didn't deer hunt much until I was in my teens. Yeah. Um, my uncle Duke is who got me in the first stand, okay. and uh, didn't didn't take anything. But I saw a couple of does, and I I re I knew it. I just knew it immediately. I love doing this. Yep. And I'm one of those guys, man. I I hunt what I eat. Yep. All right. And I I don't. You hunt what you hunt. I hunt what I eat. If I'm hunting, if I'm fishing. I'm making groceries. <laughs> that's, that's just me. But, yeah, that peace of mind. And, you know, my son took his first deer uh, uh, two years ago. Hey, congratulations, yeah. man. That's bigger than you. Oh, I watched the, the excitement and, and all of the practice coming together, you know. So it's, uh, it's the outdoors. I, I tell people, if you don't understand what peace of mind is, yeah. get on a boat, get in the deer stand. Exactly. With peace and quiet. Yeah, and it's the only time now that my son don't bring an iPad. Yeah. So that's magic. I'm for it. <laughs> I'm Absolutely. For it. Yeah. You bet it is. Yeah. Growing up in Louisiana, did you know you were going to be an LSU Tiger from birth? Did people put that in you? What's funny, no. A lot of the stars in Louisiana went to Florida schools. Yeah. Uh, Florida State, Miami. Um, and, and people don't realize it. Peyton went to Tennessee. He's from Louisiana. Eli went to Ole Miss. He's from Louisiana. Ed Reed is from Louisiana. Went to Miami. Reggie Wayne is from Louisiana. And, man, I just, you know, it, it was God's perfect timing. Yeah. Nick Saban was the head coach. Not the Nick Saban everybody knows now. Right. It's, it was Nick Saban that was trying to build a program. Yeah. And uh, a bunch of guys that I played with from Louisiana were really good football players. And uh, we wanted to represent for our state school. On our visits, the one common thing was a lot of these schools, a lot of these dudes from them areas that's having success. You know, I visited Miami. I visited Ohio State. I visited Texas A&M. And it was a big conglomerate of Florida guys at Miami, yeah. big conglomerate of guys up from Ohio in that area at Ohio State. And I was like, dude. We got some really good football players in Louisiana. If and soccer lane. And soccer lane, right? <laughs> Stay home. Um, but ending up at LSU, where I can go right down the street, get mama's cooking. Yep. And I knew where my brush piles was at. Right. I wasn't worried about nothing. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. I'm going to wrap it up with this. You give the good Lord credit. Oh, absolutely. And, and you've got a smile on your face and your joy. I, I can see the source of your joy. Yes, sir. It, that's the foundation. 
I had a praying grandmother, a praying mama, a praying sister, and I understood what that meant for me early. Yeah. Um, and that's why you that's why you got to be careful when you're in my position uh, of always talking about me and what I did right. and what I'm doing. Right. It took a lot of people to get me here, yeah. and a lot of those people, including myself, knew that God was our source. So, yeah. and we're still here. And that's what my mama used to tell me, and she tell me this the other day. As long as you got breath in your body, you praise his name. What a terrific guy. Former NFL and LSU star Marcus Spears. Calming Care and Fortiflora, a couple of products that absolutely work. From the trusted name Purina. If you own a dog, you really owe it to yourself to learn more about these products at kinderoutdoors.com. Hi, this is Bobby Labonte, and when I'm not in the great outdoors, I'm thinking about it with Kinder Outdoors. Don't head to the country without stopping at Teskey's Outdoors and Weatherford. I'm Randy Jackson reminding you that we are on the way to the ranch just west of Weatherford on the south side of Interstate 20. We have rifles, pistols, shotguns, all from dependable names like Smith & Wesson, Browning, Beretta, Christensen, Megara, Six Hour, Winchester, and many more. Be sure to ask about our used gun selection, too. Teskey's Outdoors can deck you out for the field and the boat with outdoor wear from Patagonia, Cool, Sims, Howler Brothers, Ariat, Free Fly, Sitka, North Face, and many others. We are a one-stop shop on your way to the rancher lease with ammo for ducks, dove, quail, deer, varmints, and even tin cans. Heck, you can buy your hunting and fishing license at Teskey's Outdoors in Weatherford. Bring the trader, deer blinds, feed, and feeders available, too. We have what you need and what you forgot to pack when you left the house. Teskey's Outdoors on the south side of I-20, just west of Weatherford. The Quail Coalition. The backbone for the important work and research that brings brighter days for our quails and the people that love them. With 12 chapters throughout Texas, there's ample opportunity for you to join the celebration. The money raised in our chapter banquets goes to various research projects conducted by folks like the Rolling Plains Quail Research Ranch in West Texas, Caesar Kleberg Wildlife Research Institute in South Texas, and all that pursue productive science-based work that sustains and restores wild quail populations. If you've ever followed your trusted bird dog into a setting December sun, or listened from the porch to the summer song of the bobwhite, then you know just how special this bird is. Populations have declined drastically across the U.S., and the last stronghold is Texas. Come and join the Quail Coalition. Attend a banquet. Bid at an auction. Be important to quail. Quailcoalition.org. If you fry your turkeys during the holiday season and you're tired of the hassle of pots, open flames under hot oil, and sticky, oily messes, then it's time to take a good look at the Cajun Fryer by R&V Works. The original, the last fryer that you'll ever need to purchase. Cajun Fryer puts pro-level frying gear in your backyard or hunt and fish camp. These are high-performance, low-maintenance deep fryers that feature the heat source in the oil. Your oil heats from the inside out. If your family loves a fish fry, Cajun Fryer is a must. Because the heat source is suspended in the oil, small crumbs and pieces that burn fall to the bottom. So your oil stays much cleaner, many times lasting the entire year. Often imitated, never duplicated. Don't be fooled. Take a look at the original Cajun Fryer at CajunFryer.com. Fresh, crisp, delicious every time. 
CajunFryer.com. National outdoor writer Ken Kirkaby knows of what he writes. I think I probably hunted in just about every western state. Uh, yeah, and I fly fished in a lot of those places. He's fished the waters, walked the land, and harvested the game that makes him authentic. That's where the basis of that comes from. I wanted to make this really authentic, and I wanted people to identify with it. Guys like you and I have a real hard time finding good stuff to read, because it's written by guys that just don't know what the heck they're writing about. And guys like you and I, we read two pages and we say, hey... That's phony. This is this is not the way it is. Ever since The Old Man in the Sea, fishing novels have been scarce on the horizon. That was until national outdoor writer Ken Kirkaby wrote his blue water classic, The Tournament. Chuck Winchler of Sporting Classics says you can read The Tournament in about the time it takes to catch a big marlin. And every moment will be just as fun, just as exciting. Jennifer Mayhall of Paradise This Week says, The Tournament reels you into the world of sport fishing and doesn't let you go. The Tournament by Ken Kirkaby. Get it on Amazon. It is the dream of the animal rights fanatics to suppress your most natural connection to the earth. To sell you a life filled with urban fascinations. To ignore that death is life's unwavering partner. Together, creating a relationship between predator and prey that makes it possible for us all to survive. To the hunter, this world's most honest steward, these fantasies are the poisonous, perverted manipulations of social misfits who would take this planet hostage. They should startle you and awaken you to trust the hunter in your blood. Fortune just for you. Glad you enjoy it. You're in camp with Kinder Outdoors. Hey, I'm Billy Kinder. This is Kinder Outdoors. Thanks for hanging out with us today. We greatly appreciate that. And I want to say hello to some folks that check out the show every week up in Bainbridge, Indiana. It's Michael Carrington. Michael, thanks a lot. Jimmy Carter hears the show out in Pottsboro, Texas. And in Springfield, Illinois, I want to say hi to Kenneth Rossi. And thank you wherever you are and however you listen. AM, FM, podcast, Sirius XM, however it lands at your place every week, we're grateful to you. My friend Corey Mason is the executive director of the Dallas Safari Club and a regular guest on this show. Prior to his career at DSC, he was a wildlife biologist for the state of Texas. And some years back, he led the most comprehensive dove hunting study ever of its kind. I want to talk to him about that. Thanks for hanging around, Corey. Welcome back. Yes, sir, Billy. Thank you. Hey, I tell you, uh, before you were the executive director of Dallas Safari Club, you were a wildlife biologist for the state of Texas, and you were a part of, I think you were the head, the lead, uh, on this dove study, the most comprehensive study of its kind ever in the history of our planet. Uh, and it's so fun to hear you talk about that, that I thought maybe we'd share that with the audience today. That sounds great. It's fun to, to reminisce back on the great work that we did at Parks and Wildlife. Yeah. And let's talk about, first of all, so people just get an idea, this wasn't a, a three-week deal where, hey, let's do this study next weekend in the Dove Patch. This took a while. 
It did. This study probably took about four years from uh, initiation through execution of all the gathering in the field data, from contractors to load development to the studies on the front end to determine what is the most common load used by Texas dove hunters, to load development, to training of observers, all the data collection. And then we had to compile and we had to write this beautiful manuscript that ultimately went to a scientific peer review journal for publication. Wow, very cool. Well, let's, let's break it down a little bit. What were you studying? What was, what was the, the point of this? You bet. So with the recognition of all these ongoing at the time, conversations, criticisms, and the use of uh, lead shot for a number of species of birds, recognizing the volume of lead shot that is shot at dove, and then specifically recognizing the importance of dove hunting to the state of Texas being the most hunters participating in the highest harvest state from a, from a dove hunter perspective, um, Texas felt an encumbrant to take some proactive steps. If we rewind the clock a little bit and we saw what happened with the integration at that point in time in the late 80s from a waterfowl standpoint, it was really a mess and a kind of a list of how not to do anything in much of those. When a federal judge said, you will shift to non-toxic shot or you will not hunt waterfowl, that's really the decision that came yeah. down. And so not necessarily at all in the same position, but Texas being the leader in conservation, Texas Parks and Wildlife wanted to proactively answer the question of, should we be forced to go to a non-toxic shot alternative, what would the impacts be from a conservation and from a hunter perspective from the lethality of non-toxic shot compared to what we know is the most commonly used shot, as well as wounding rates, because there were lots of perceptions, some true, some not, about wounding rates as well, and so that still lingered around, and so we wanted to really scientifically address those two questions. And let's do that now. Let's, uh, we have the benefit now of all this research behind us, so we can take a look at these uh, results. Tell me, what is the choice of most Texas hunters, what shot shell are they buying down at Bass Pro Shop or wherever? So the most commonly used uh, is an ounce and an eighth, seven and a half shot. Okay. And so that uh, research was done in Texas, but this is going to apply wherever doves are hunted pretty much. Um, and then steel shot. Uh, so if I'm participating in your study and you give me shells to use and I don't want the law to change and you give me steel shot, I might miss a bird or two or three or ten on purpose to make that shot look bad. Yeah, we were keenly aware of people's perspectives going into it. Um, and so we had, whenever we knew the most commonly used dove load by Texas dove hunters, uh, again, many, many thousands of them, uh, and so we wanted to ballistically try to develop a load that was most comparable to that. Um, and that was a one-ounce seven and a one-ounce six steel. Um, and so from a pattern performance, from lethality, efficiency, all of that. And so all the while those codes, those, those loads were developed, and they were only known by an extremely small number of people. Those people were not in the field. Observers nor shooters did not know what they took to the field. And so all of these, these shot shells looked exactly the same externally. They were the same everything. And so the only difference in it was a color that was painted onto them and a number code that was given to that. Like, for example, it might be 1, 2, 3, R, red, or something like that. But the observer nor the shooter did not know what that was. So when you went to the field, the importance of that is is no one had the ability to influence the study in a kind of quote-unquote positive or negative way. Rather, the observers were trained on the front end for several days, like four days, on bird behavior, the subtleties of uh, how a bird behaves when someone shoots in front, when someone shoots below, when someone shoots above. 
the subtleties of a bird that's that's lightly struck. You know, for example, that dove, as soon as you shoot, when he flies and lands in a tree immediately, oftentimes that bird's struck lightly. Uh, all of these subtleties uh, and how to record data properly, how to measure chokes. You know, we didn't take, for example, if you're shooting your, your Benelli that it says modified on the side. Well, that doesn't really doesn't mean a lot. We want to measure that to 0.736 or whatever that number was so then we could compare that across all manufacturers and make. So we took painstaking detail in making sure that the data that was recorded it was the best it could be. So uh, you say these observers were trained. Obviously, these observers were in the field with the hunters. That's exactly right. And all of these were natural resource professionals. Uh, most of them were Texas Parks and Wildlife. At the time, we had some NRCS conservation professionals uh, as well that joined uh, the Parks and Wildlife staff in the field. Uh, they, were, they were trained uh, and they were tested. And they were tested until they could receive the right level of competency to record data. And then every time they went to the field, so the procedure would be something like, from a checkout stand, we had an ammo depot that was locked, secured, and um, in fact, and in the morning before they went out to the morning hunt, the observer would retrieve what was given to them uh, from a randomized block design scientific study. This was their lot of ammo. Then they would keep that in their possession in their bag. They would take that to the field with their, with their uh, paired hunter. And then when they sat down, the shooter made sure went through all of the hunter's, uh, you know, clothing, bucket, whatever they had, that there was no other ammunition. Hmm. Then they would they would control the distribution of the ammunition to the hunter, wow. not in, in fact in the way that they hunt, but rather to ensure they were only shooting that, you know, that ammunition. And then the observer was right over the shoulder, if you will, of the shooter. And in fact, whenever it looked at wounding rates and retrievability rates, the observer did not even help at all. If the, you know, if the guy, the man or the woman shot the bird and obviously immediately killed it and it fell, there was no, you know, there's no guidance on great shot or nothing. They were literally there recording. Three steps to your right, whatever. None of that. Because yeah. we also wanted to determine the ability of people to, to determine and retrieve birds. Yeah. Uh, so obviously much of that is an influence of the environment in which you're hunting in, you know. This is a Kinder Outdoors Conservation Minute. A focus on people that make a difference. At the Outdoors Tomorrow Foundation, we're really happy to have more than 50,000 kids in school classrooms learning about archery, fishing, boating, and other outdoor skills each year. We're thrilled that we have grown to schools across the United States and continue to grow. We're humbled that teaching wildlife conservation to our future generations have been so eagerly accepted by more than a quarter million kids so far. We're happy, thrilled, and humbled but we're not stopping. The Outdoor Adventures program in junior highs and high schools across America has proven to be a hit with kids. And in case after case, we've seen Outdoor Adventures' young lives changed. Kids that just were not into school and not involved are now excited to get into the classroom each day because of Outdoor Adventures. The kids earn classroom credit by learning the outdoor basics and they smile while learning. If you want Outdoor Adventures in your local school, contact me, Scott McClure. I'm at GoOTF.com. That's Scott at GoOTF.com. Preserving what we love and educating the next generation every day. To learn more, visit us at KinderOutdoors.com. I told you that dove hunting study was interesting. We're going to make a little run to the coffee pot. Then Corey's going to rejoin us with more of that good stuff. Stick around. Hey everybody, it's Dominic Zamito with Two Rivers Fly Shop in North Fork, Arkansas. When I'm not in the great outdoors, I'm sure thinking about it with Big Billy Kinder Outdoors. Billy, are you sinking? It looks like you've got a heck of a hole in your waders there. 
Do you love the crappie fish as much as I do? Hey, Mr. Crappie, Wally Marshall inviting you and your family to the Crappie Expo in Shreveport, Bossier City, October 1, 2, 3. The Crappie Expo is for everyone that loves to fish. More than 100 crappie fishing exhibits feature today's top gear, boats, electronics, and much more. The Mr. Crappie Invitational features the top 100 teams in America going head-to-head in the Red River Shootout Crappie Tournament. A quarter of a million is up for grabs. Woo-hoo. The richest crappie tournament in history. Don't miss the world's largest crappie fry at 11 o'clock on Saturday the 2nd. Fried crappie, taters, hush puppies, mmm, I'm also giving away $10,000 on Saturday and again on Sunday. You must be at the Crappie Expo to win. Cash is king. Crappie Expo 2021 is brought to you by Ford Trucks, Lose, Strike King, Riceland Rice Brand Oil, Humminbird, The Boat Shop, and Bayou Outdoors Superstore. CrappieExpo.com. Hey, CrappieExpo.com. Wow. Roy Holdridge and True Life Taxidermy in Granbury, Texas are award-winning artists many times over. And for several reasons. God-given talent is the starting point, followed by a work ethic that won't allow second best. Roy is also a lifelong and well-traveled hunter. He spent countless hours in the field glassing and studying wildlife around the globe. When you trust your rare and timeless memory to True Life Taxidermy Granberry, be assured that you're working with the very best in the business. My home is a testament to Roy's work at True Life Taxidermy. The pheasants, the whitetails, the axis, the fish all perfectly preserved. True Life Granberry is the only stop you need to make after the hunt, offering not only world-class taxidermy, but wild game processing too. Headed for Africa, New Zealand, Colorado, Montana, or any place else? No problem. True Life is well-versed in import and transport state-to-state or around the globe. You can trust True Life Taxidermy. TrueLifeTaxidermy.org Winter at the lake is a wonderful thing. The still quiet solace of the woods and water at Grapevine Lake offer the perfect opportunity to slow the season down a bit. Tucked away behind a secure gated entry and snuggled on the still shore of Grapevine Lake is the national award-winning Vineyards Campground and Cabins. Full hookups, lightning-fast Wi-Fi, and cable TV at every campsite and cabin keep you connected, even when you're getting away. The Vineyard sites and fully furnished cabins are the perfect place to kick off the new year and enjoy the great outdoors. Our unique location makes you feel far away from the hustle and bustle when you're just a few blocks from historic downtown Grapevine, the Christmas capital of Texas, offering shops, restaurants, and all the sights and sounds of the season. Cozy cabins, spacious pull-through sites, and a camp store on site to provide whatever you need. Always keeping your health and safety a priority, come enjoy nature's original way to social distance. Come see us this winter. The Vineyards Campground and Cabins. VineyardsCampground.com. From the deck of your private cabin overlooking the confluence of the famous White and Norfolk Rivers at Norfolk Resort Trout Dock, you can see crystal clear running waters that hold one of the world's greatest populations of rainbow and brown trout. In fact, this is the home of world record trout. You might be distracted, though, by the beautiful rolling Ozark Mountains that hold you during your stay. Just up the road a few miles is incredible bass fishing for largemouth, smallmouth, and spots. You'll find the best guides in the business at Norfolk Resort, and your boat is just a short walk from your cabin. Your guide will find a gravel shoal perfect for preparing a hot shore lunch with fresh-caught trout and all the trimmings. You'll think about a nap after lunch, but there's more fish to catch and river to explore before retiring to your fully furnished riverside hideaway. Sound good? Of course it does. Norfolk Resort Trout Dock in Norfolk, Arkansas. 
NorfolkResort.com. Share our campfire and a good story or two. Kender Outdoors. You can share your hunt, your hike, your fishing trip with us and everybody else when you come see me at kinderoutdoors.com and contribute a picture for the bragging board. Real easy to do from your laptop or handheld. K-I-N-D-E-R, kinderoutdoors.com. That's the website. If you want to give us a call, we're here. 877-820-BBKO. 877 877- 820-2256. Before the break, wildlife biologist Corey Mason was sharing with us the details of a dove hunting study uh, that he did a number of years back while working for the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department. Uh, very interesting stuff, Corey, and I appreciate you sticking around. Uh, you were telling us before the, the break that each shooter in your study had an observer that actually handed shells uh, to the shotgunner. And that reminded me of Argentina, where I had a guy in the, uh, in the dove blind with me, and that was his sole job, to hand me shells, reload my gun, hand me shells all day long. It was really handy. <laughs> exactly. This was a little different than that. Uh, <laughs> there with the data sheet. <laughs> yeah, this was a whole lot different than that. Uh, I want to get to the results of steel shot lead shot in a minute but first of all what about the birds what'd you do with them yeah that's a great question so every every shot that was taken even and then we'll get to the bird in a second every shot that was taken an outcome was um was determined and recorded on this data sheet that we had built and so it was the you know it was a it was a hit or miss um and if a bird was taken it was it was was the bird dead or immobile within uh, 30 seconds, and then, or was the bird immobilized, and then obviously was the bird wounded? Was it lost? Was it just completely missed? There were several criteria there, categories in which the observer would record, as well as the distance of every single shot and the choke in which that shot was shot through. Hmm. And obviously the ammunition was, was a known at that point in time. Um, and if a bird was taken, was shot, and retrieved, then a, a metal tag was affixed to the leg on that bird, and the importance of that metal tag with a, with a number that was inscribed in that is then that showed on a radiograph, more specifically an x-ray. And there was a paper tag as well that recorded a series of, of information, the shooter number, the observer number, the load, the distance, the choke, the result, as well as the direction of flight. Now, here's where it gets really important as well. So we would record if it was left to right, right to left, overhead, away, income, or all of those kinds of things. And then when that bird, if it was dead or mobile within 30 seconds or retrieved, every bird was fully necropted, which means every single bird was fully defeathered. The number of pellets, depth of penetration of every single pellet, if a vital for life organ was struck, um, head, vertebra, any of that, wow. it was all recorded on an anatomically correct chart in every single pellet recorded. Hmm. And then that bird was radiographed or x-rayed. So then we could look at the flight path of the bird. So we would know if it was a right-to-left crosser, for example. The, uh, and then within the um, um, x-ray, essentially, could determine or prove or falsify if the bird had been struck earlier in the day or by another hunter. So, for example, if all the pellets should be moving from right to left, 
but then there were some number of pellets that had crossed through the bird or were lodged in the bird in a different direction, the bird was not used in the study because the bird was not killed with one shot. He'd been hit earlier. He'd been hit earlier, and there was some effect there from a prior strike, and so we didn't want to assume anything. We were only interested in lethality and wounding rates of birds that were taken with that particular load. That is so phenomenal. I, I want everyone to get to uh, come to the website, kinderoutdoors.com, K-I-N-D-E-R, just like kindergarten, and take a look at the photo that we've put up there actually from this study and the, uh, and the minute detail like choke size, everything that you guys painfully recorded to do this, uh, this dove study. So after immersing yourself in this for four years, five years, however long, uh, are you a better dove shot now? You know, I know a whole lot about necropsy and dove. I don't know if I'm a better shot or not. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty phenomenal stuff. Um, and this is recent. Uh, this is re- this is a recent study. This is not from four decades ago. This is just a few years back. That's exactly right. So the information is highly relevant. All the information associated with retrieving rates and wounding rates and the efficiency of the ammunition is is very very relevant. Yeah. So let's talk about lead and steel. We all know steel don't work. You can't kill a dove with steel. You're going to wound too many birds, Corey. What's the outcome? Yeah, so that was certainly what we were working from with many of those assumptions and those conversations taking place. And, again, as a quick refresh, from a, from a, uh, a survey we had done on the front end, you know, we determined that the average Texas dove hunter was shooting that ounce and an eighth of lead shot of seven and a half. And so in the study, we used two other comparison loads, a steel one ounce seven and a steel one ounce six and so after thousands of rounds fired and all these randomized block designs and, and statistical analysis statistically speaking there was no difference in the three loads from lead to steel even across the sizes of shot and wounding or lethality wow no difference no difference statistically speaking exactly wow that is amazing what about gauges did you guys shoot all 12 gauge or what we did for simplicity because if we broke it down by sub gauge uh, we would have to randomize and do every single component again and so we wanted to achieve again recognizing that most texas dove hunters do shoot a 12 gauge that was part of our study on the front end as well and so we did straight 12 gauge so the guys that uh, the the shooters that you recruited uh, to go out in the field and help you do this research where'd you find them that's a great question so we did this two years uh, from the full study perspective as well as a pilot year where we were testing the data and the sheets and all of that kind of things um, but the first year we uh, essentially joined hunters that had paid to go on a, a commercial dove hunt and so we had that sort of population of the dove hunters those that pay to go commercially Assuming that maybe there is a more of an affinity to hunt more, maybe shoot more, some kind of imply a few things there. Get their money's worth. Exactly. But on the other side, so recognizing that, again, we wanted to test every metric possible. Um, and so secondarily, the second year, we invited, we looked at the, the sampling universe of hunters that had bought a public dove, uh, an annual public hunt, essentially hunted on public land. Yeah. And then further, that purchased uh migratory stamps that hunted doves specifically and so then we invited them to join on this hunt as to be the shooting participant so from a sample perspective again first year we had those that paid to commercially hunt on the second year we used public dove hunters but yet we invited them to hunt on the under these um, you know on these private fields so we could control the environment from a ammo distribution and all those kind of things and so we had a extremely representative sample of the dove hunting community 
And so, uh, do you recall any similarities, differences? Were they just about the same, the commercial hunter, the public land hunter? They really were. As far as from an efficiency standpoint, essentially speaking, no differences. Wow. What an interesting study, and I'm sure if folks want to read more in depth and learn more, they can find this online. Absolutely. So we produced some informational pamphlets with Parks and Wildlife at the time. Uh, the scientific papers out there as well uh, that went through scientific rigorous review process and, and came out on the back end. There were a couple of my colleagues that Mr. Jay Roberson that initiated the study uh, through turning, turning it over through a transition period there and then me taking it from there. My colleague Mike Frisbee with Parks and Wildlife and then uh, dear friend and colleague Dr. Brian Pierce at Texas A&M that helped us extremely from the, from the statistical side. So, yeah, it was, it was a huge team, team effort. Very good. Hey, that is so cool and a whole lot of fun. Uh, if you want to read it, check it out online, and we'll try to link up to that at uh, kinderoutdoors.com. Corey, thanks a lot. You're, you're a lot smarter than you look. You know that? <laughs> I don't know about that. Thank you, Billy. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Good to see you. Thank you, sir. You too. I would regard Corey Mason as one of my most trusted friends. I really enjoy visiting with him. I always – he I can't say the same for him, learning something from me. But I always learn something from Corey uh, when I hang out with him. Well, hey, we're going to stretch our legs for a few minutes. But when we come back, how about NFL Hall of Famer Larry Zonka? We're going to introduce you to the Christian Outdoor Ministry and check out the results from the Marathon Man. How well did he do raising money for our first responders last weekend? Hi, everybody. It's World Championship caller Al Morris. When I'm not in the great outdoors, I'm sure thinking about it with Big Billy Kinder Outdoors. Conservation Company with Kinder Outdoors. Big event coming up in Ashland, Virginia on October 2nd and 3rd, just a couple of weeks away. This has turned into a huge event, the Green Top Outdoor Expo, the largest outdoors retailer show in Virginia. Hundreds of vendors. Uh, the Duck Dynasty guys were there last year, uh, Jace Robertson and Cy Robertson, Uncle Cy. Ashland, Virginia, October 2nd and 3rd. This corner of the camp house brought to you by my friends at Purina Pro Plan, Pro Plan Performance Formula. That's what the champions are fed. 30% protein, 20% fat in the sport packaging. The purple bag, when you visit Atwood's Ranch and Home Stores, pick up a bag of Pro Plan Performance Formula for your champion. Coming up on Thursday night, September 23rd, this coming Thursday night, I'm going to have the great honor and privilege again of serving as MC for the Christian Outdoor Ministry Fundraiser Banquet and Auction. It's going to be a dandy this year. That auction's really shaping up big. I want to welcome my friend Danny Souter back. He puts it all together every year. Welcome, Danny. Hey, Billy. Great to hear from you, friend. I tell you what, it's that time again um, after... Uh, Golly, a year and a half of COVID messing everything up. We're going to have a banquet uh, this coming Thursday, September 23rd. You got it. That's right. It's going to be great, man. Tell us about Christian Outdoor Ministry. What is Christian Outdoor Ministry? Well, we take kids and their parents hunting and fishing every month. Uh, 
we'll do 30 events this year. But the wow. purpose is all about hunting and fishing. That's just the, the means of the platform where you do. The purpose is to share Jesus with these kids and their parents and to help them to come to know the Lord and follow the Lord. Yeah, it's a big deal. And their quality hunting and fishing events, the kids, the, the entire family that goes just has a ball. Tell us about some of these trips you take these kids and their parents on. Well, we are so blessed, Billy. We have about 30 ranches, and we've got five new new ones that's coming on probably this year. So it's possible we could have 40 or 50 before 22 is over with. And these are some of the top ranches in the state. I mean, they're great ranches, great whitetail, great exotics, hogs, turkeys. And most of these places have uh, stocked lakes on them with great bass fishing. One of our best ones has 13-pound bass in it, and they got trophy whitetails and trophy exotics. I mean, it's quality. That is just so uh, so awesome that so many people have jumped on board. How, how long has Christian Outdoor Ministry been around now? We started in April of 2017. Next year, we, are, uh, we celebrate five years, April of 22. You know, sometimes it seems pain, painstakingly slow, but uh, that's a lot of growth in just a few short years. Uh, but you can't do this without money, so... Tell us a little bit about the Wild Game Dinner Auction and Raffle that's coming up Thursday, September 23. First of all, we've had two donors uh, for our Wild Game. We've got Chris Hughes at Broken Arrow Ranch down in Ingram, Texas, and Joe Masaccio over at Cinnamon Creek have donated our Wild Game uh, that we're going to serve at the Hearst, Texas uh, Conference Center. And the chef there, Siggy, he's preparing this Wild Game for us, so we're probably going to have... Uh, Axis meat and uh, wild pig and quail. We have 28 live auction items and about 30 or 40 uh, silent auctions and 17 tables. The value this year, total value of our theme ta- I mean, of our uh, live auction items is over $120,000. We've got great donors this year, unbelievable donations. It's, God is just really blessing us in in this event and. But the bottom line is, you know, you can have the best products and the best things to sell and auction off, but if you don't have boots in the seats, you know, you're not going to do very well. So we're hoping to really have a great crowd there. We're working hard and inviting people and trying to enlist them, and, and your radio program is going to help us get some people there. Yep, tell us how we can get a ticket and what we need to do. You go to our website, ChristianOutdoorMinistry.org, and on there, uh, you go to the link there, and it'll tell you where the, you can buy tables and tickets, and uh, tickets are 75 bucks. Uh, we've got tables, two prices, uh, $1,000 tables and $600 tables for eight. Put your credit card and uh, on it uh, through uh, PayPal, and, and, and then you're signed up. Very good. Hey, I'm looking forward to it, the uh, Christian Outdoor Ministry. Uh, fundraiser auction and raffle to take these uh, kids and their families uh, into God's great outdoors and share the Lord with them while uh, while we're there. It's uh, it's hard work, and we appreciate you doing it all year long. I know it's on your mind every day. Well, Bill, I want you to thank you. This will be, I think, the third or fourth year you've been our MC. You are a great MC. You're a great Christian leader and a great man on the radio, and we appreciate you helping us by being there and and you did such a wonderful job of telling our story and working with our, our auctioneer. Our auctioneer's name is Cody Shelley. He's a great guy. He's going to help us to raise more money this year so we can take more kids and parents in the outdoors. That's awesome. And, hey, we'll see you Thursday night. Yes, sir, Thursday night. The doors open at 5.30. Dinner starts at 6.30. The auction will start about 7.30. Danny Souter, the founder of Christian Outdoor Ministries, that is 
just growing leaps and bounds, as you could hear from that conversation there. If you can make it out to Hearst, Texas this coming Thursday night, we'd love to see you. There's some great auction items. I've got my eye on a couple. (laughs) All the details are at kinderoutdoors.com. That's K-I-N-D-E-R. There's a Purina Pro Plan formula for your dog, specifically built for your dog. Puppy, senior citizen, doesn't matter. Itchy coat, intolerance to grain, other special conditions, there's a Pro Plan for that. Take a look at all the Pro Plan formulas when you visit Atwood's Ranch and Home Stores in Oklahoma, Arkansas, Kansas, Texas, and Missouri. Good morning, it's Bobby Lane, and when I'm not in the great outdoors, I'm thinking about it with Big Billy Kinder Outdoors. Kinder, get in the boat. Hey, I want to let you know about something that's brand new and coming to South Dakota this fall, the Dead Rabbit Lodge. (laughs) You see, the owner received his higher learning from the University of South Dakota, the Coyotes. The dreaded enemy of the University of South Dakota Coyotes is the South Dakota State University Jackrabbits, therefore the name, the Dead Rabbit. The Dead Rabbit Lodge sits on the eastern bluffs of Big Blue Lake Owyhee. The view from your giant western Canada Red Cedar Lodging stretches from the dam to the south almost all the way up to North Dakota. The Big Lodge is finest splendor from top to bottom. Perfect for big family or corporate groups. But the Dead Rabbit will also feature separate hotel-style rooms, a great game room and bar for entertaining, guest-only dining featuring the Rabbit's award-winning chef, oh, and about 40,000 acres of the finest pheasant hunting in the world. You won't forget the Dead Rabbit. It's really exciting to see right now. Uh, One thing that's great about archery is anybody can do it. Men, women, or children, everybody can do this. Um, our lessons right now are fantastic. We see entire family groups come in, have a great time, and they're finding out that this is something that is a great pastime, great sport, and everybody can be successful. Americans are learning what a huge benefit it is to learn to hunt, learn to fish, learn to put safe and wholesome food on our tables. Cinnamon Creek Archery in Roanoke, Texas, has taught many thousands of families about the great sport of archery. People who thought they could just never do that now enjoy the range and harvesting their own wild game. You can't just sell somebody a bow and say, hey, good luck. You need to be able to take them aside, teach them the fundamentals, teach them how to shoot correctly so that they can be as successful as possible and really enjoy our sport. Visit CinnamonCreekRanch.com and discover the great knowledge and satisfaction that so many other families have found in archery. I'm going to lay this out to you as simply as I possibly can because it really is simple. Buy your cold weather wear from Ron and Teresa Miskin at the Buffalo Wool Company and stay warm. Gloves, socks, hats, beanies. I love my neck gaiter. All made from the insulating fibers of the American bison. The same fiber or buffalo wool that protects the buffalo against a frigid winter in Montana, Wyoming, or the Dakotas. Buffalo wool is warmer than traditional wool, and it's luxuriously soft on your skin, not scratchy or abrasive. It wicks moisture away and is unbelievably tough, lasting year after year. And they back up what they sell with a 100% money-back guarantee if you're not happy. Take a look. TheBuffaloWoolCo.com TheBuffaloWoolCo.com
It's simple. Wing shooting in Argentina is an activity that must be experienced rather than explained. Dove are considered to be a plague in the area, so there are no bag limits, and there are no seasons to hunt them. We've got 20 million birds on the roost, and they're there 365 days a year. They're there every day, all day. They fly eight hours a day, every day. At Cordoba Doves, you'll enjoy delicious food, exceptional hospitality, beverages in the field, your own personal bird boy. Bird boy's job is to pour shells in your bag uh, when you're going through a box every five minutes and keep count of the birds that you've shot and to bring you something to drink every few minutes. At the end of the day, we pick up all the hulls and pick up the birds, but you can't send him out to pick up birds at six or eight hundred times a day. Experience the very best that Argentina has to offer through Cordoba Doves. Contact the U.S. Representative Lane Balky at CordobaDoves.com. My name is Jose Grasso, the owner of JJ Caseria. Can see me in Argentina. The old camp house floor creaks a little, but don't worry. You're on solid ground with Kinder Outdoors. This corner of the camp house brought to you by Purina Pro Plan. You never know who you're going to run into at the Dallas Safari Club Convention and Expo. Walking down the aisles a couple of years back, there stood the great NFL Hall of Famer, Larry Zonka. At that time, he was still hosting his outdoor television show from Alaska. So we just had a good visit right there in the aisle. Well, I dreamt about going to Alaska from the time I was about 10 years old. I did not dream about the NFL until I was about 17 or 18 years old. And I had my sights set on Alaska early on, probably 1956, you know, 1955. I first saw some of the uh, Field and Stream magazines with some of those Kodiak bears on the cover. I said, where is that? I want to go there. And I dreamt about getting there and uh, was hoping to get there. And then, of course, it got detoured into the NFL, which I'm not complaining about, which which made uh, things turn around to where Alaska became available to me once I got out of the NFL. I can afford, in fact, to go up. And then for the last 16 years, we've had an outdoor series show, uh, you know, Napa's north to Alaska, and I've been uh, traveling all over and enjoying all the different facets of, of Alaska and trying to bring them to folks at home. Do you live full-time in Alaska now? I'm up there about, uh, I'm Alaska resident and I'm full-time, yeah. but I'm really up there about eight months of the year, and then I come out. December, January, February, um, you know, I, I don't dislike it, but I don't, uh, if I'm there, I like to be recreational minded and you know it becomes uh, getting around becomes a real labor and and it's dark and uh, cold and it's kind of a hassle so i still migrate down to ohio which is my home state and hang out there a little bit of a farm we've got there west of pittsburgh right across the ohio line just a little southwest of youngstown for about a month and then i come down to the state of florida my old stomping ground is a dolphin and i bought a place up by cape kennedy just north of cape kennedy on the on the east side there right on the ocean indian river area and spend about two and a half months of the year there. Long before the NFL, long before the NFL Hall of Fame, uh, long before thoughts of, of uh, making a, a career out of playing football, you were hunting in some woods somewhere. Where did this all start for you? Absolutely. In a rural part of Ohio, I grew up outside of Akron, uh, probably 30 miles south uh, east of Cleveland. And... Um, 
you know, dairy farm kind of area. We didn't have you know, a lot of large whitetail or anything like that. It was pretty well shot up. And uh, Ducks Unlimited had started to bring the waterfowl back. So in the late 40s, early 50s, when I was a boy just starting to hunt, you know, all we had was rabbit and pheasant. And we were delighted to have that. But we dreamt about uh, whitetail. We dreamt about uh, Canadian geese and so on. And now, you know, through all the different clubs that we hunters have put together, now we have, you know, many deer to hunt. You know, and I'm, we're standing in one of the best deer hunting states in the Union, as far as I'm concerned. This is the friendliest place in the world for a deer hunter right here in Texas. That's why I come back quite a bit. And and the same thing in South Dakota for uh, pheasants and, and so on, right down Ducks Unlimited. My gosh, the things they've done. I'm, I'm really proud of that organization and being affiliated with it. And that has changed, you know, as I grew up shooting, you know, hunting uh, rabbits with a 20, Marlin single shot 22 and, and tracking pheasants in the snow uh, and dreamt about going on to bigger things, you know, white-tailed deer, Canadian geese, so on. And then eventually it ended up in Alaska where you could really go after some real, real, honest-to-gosh, big game. I made it all worthwhile. And I've seen you uh, hunt moose. I've seen you catch big halibut. I've seen you do lots of things in Alaska. Could you hone it down? If the good Lord said, Larry, I'm just going to give you one. Here's what you're going to do the rest of your life. What's your favorite? You know, my favorite area, I can do that for you okay. easier, is, is uh, the peninsula that runs out before it turns into the Aleutian Islands. That's still the wildest place in Alaska. That's been the place that all the folks that, that take other people to the outback in Alaska, when we all get together and say, okay, now let's go someplace for us, that's where we go because that's the outbacker's outback. It's not for everybody because it's not easy to get to. You know, you got to have a situation where you can spare a week time-wise because it could take you two days to go in and five days to come out. Uh, we're talking about extremely remote and uh, very weather-conditioned. And it, but as a result, June, July, and August, and part of September, that is the wildest place in the world to go fly fishing for uh, steelhead, for silver salmon, for king salmon, even some red salmon come in there. And then the, the trout fishing is, and, and dollies are just, it's just crazy. And the bears, you're absolutely up to your ears in bears. And the great thing about that, for those folks out there who listen to the show that are worried about bears, it's the best time of the season for the bears because they've got more than they can eat. And any time bears have more than they can eat, they are totally uninterested in humans unless the human's standing on their rock. That's all you got to be is careful where you stand. Yeah. Just get out of the way, and the bears will pass within 10 feet of you, and there's never a problem. The only undefeated team in NFL history. How much does that mean to you guys? Every year you watch it pretty close, don't you? Well, you know, particularly here in this this part of the country, I mean, pro football, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> you guys uh, with, the, with the Cowboys, I mean, that's, uh, we contrasted how well we were doing with the Miami Dolphins against decades of watching the Cowboys. Now, you know, I'm a Cowboy fan. If I wasn't playing them, I kind of like watching them. But, but if I'm playing against them, I'm not a Cowboy fan. Make no mistake. But at the same time, uh, to know where you rank in the NFL during the time, my tenure there, uh, that was a pretty good measuring board because uh, Landry, the great coaches you had here during the, the decades, you know, there's probably three solid decades there where the Cowboys were always either in the playoffs or approaching the playoffs. So they always had great football teams. They had great personnel and had great people that, that made up their coaching staff and their, and their player personnel. 
uh, Leroy Jordan, Bob Lilly, you know, Coach Landry. The list goes on. Roger Staubach. You know, I was a kid in college and watching Staubach at Navy, and when he was drafted by Dallas, I thought, Dallas knows what they're doing. I was kind of hoping, you know, that would happen. But unfortunately, Lombardi said I was too slow, and maybe Landry listened to him, so they ended up dumping me off in Miami. But that, you know, things worked out. It worked out. And we had the undefeated season, certainly, to get back to your question, that's the highlight of my career, highlight of, uh, of anyone that was affiliated with that Miami Dolphins team that was there in 72. That has to be the highlight. But, you know, coming again, it's, it's uh, you know, we were up in, in the winning column there for four or five years. But then having a team around here that was there for three or four decades, that's a, that's a little different. A 16-0 and 0 is pretty darn special. It's never been done. It's never been done. You guys, uh, you guys have the crown there. Who introduced you to hunting or fishing? Who first put a gun or a rod and reel in Larry Zonka's hands? Well, you know, my dad and my grandfather would probably argue over that. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> depending on which one it was, uh, whether they were handing me a Stevens side-by-side or an old L.C. Smith with double hammers, you know. I had some uh, low brass shells in that L.C. Smith. I used to put the butt against a tree and try to aim it at a rabbit <laughs> if I could find the rabbit. Kicked a little, did she? <laughs> Knocked me flat when I was about seven years old. But... My granddad and my father got me, uh, you know, the first few years I went out with them, I was not allowed to carry a, a shotgun until I proved I could, could handle it. And I, they would allow me to hunt by myself because I was so small, you know, and I, I ran with my own dogs and so on. But when I would go with them, they would carry the, the shotguns, and I was the, I was the dog. You know, I, I did the retrieval, <laughs> and then got up on top of the brush piles and jumped up and down on them to see if we could flush a rabbit out. So, And I thought that was the biggest adventure. You know, at five years old, I thought that was an adventure that was second to none. Because we grew up in an era, I grew up in an era, where, you know, we supplemented the table with uh, what we picked up, rabbits and pheasants and so on, I not only shot them, bagged them, and trailed them, and and followed them, and snuck up on them, and tried to bag them, but I cleaned them and prepared them, soaked them in salt. I knew the whole thing is the same. When I was old enough to shoot, I was old enough to clean game. And I only shot what we ate. And it was just part of the deal, and I, that's the way I came up. So I've never been too much of a – say I like to trophy hunt. Don't get me wrong. You know, I'd love to shoot the world's biggest Kodiak bear. But at the same time, um, now the way I grew up, we, we pretty much ate everything we ever shot. Well, I've known for a long, long time that I wanted to meet Larizonka because you just look like the kind of guy that I'd like, and you've proven that today. What a pleasure to visit with you. Thank you for the time. Appreciate it. Thing. I wish Leroy Jordan would have felt more like you did. And Bob Lilly, I'd probably played a couple years longer. <laughs> it's Hank Parker. And when I'm not in the great outdoors, I'm thinking about it with Kinder Outdoors. Hurry up and get in the boat, Billy. I'm going to beat your pants off. (laughs) I'm Tom Watson with Bended Knee International, asking you to pray for the Navajo people of New Mexico and Arizona. The COVID-19 pandemic has hit these native people exceptionally hard. In many cases, multiple families live in the same home. Water is carried from muddy streams for household use, and medical care is many miles away. I simply ask that you join me in lifting them up to the Lord. To learn more, please visit BendedKnee.org.
It's time to get doves and ducks on your mind. And hey, deer season is just around the corner. Ramp it up this year with help from Marksman Firearms in Mansfield, Killeen, Wichita Falls, and Granbury. Rifles, pistols, shotguns, ammo, and accessories. Marksman makes it easy, too, with same-as-cash 90-day layaway. Military and first responders enjoy a 10% discount. New to shooting? No problem. Marksman Firearms has knowledgeable pros that love to help. Make your mark at Marksman. MarksmanFirearms.com. The Quail Coalition. The backbone for the important work and research that brings brighter days for our quails and the people that love them. With 12 chapters throughout Texas, there's ample opportunity for you to join the celebration. The money raised in our chapter banquets goes to various research projects conducted by folks like the Rolling Plains Quail Research Ranch in West Texas, Caesar Kleberg Wildlife Research Institute in South Texas, and all that pursue productive science-based work that sustains and restores wild quail populations. If you've ever followed your trusted bird dog into a setting December sun, or listened from the porch to the summer song of the bobwhite, then you know just how special this bird is. Populations have declined drastically across the U.S., and the last stronghold is Texas. Come and join the Quail Coalition. Attend a banquet. Bid at an auction. Be important to quail. Quailcoalition.org. If you fry your turkeys during the holiday season and you're tired of the hassle of pots, open flames under hot oil, and sticky, oily messes, then it's time to take a good look at the Cajun Fryer by R&V Works. The original, the last fryer that you'll ever need to purchase. Cajun Fryer puts pro-level frying gear in your backyard or hunt and fish camp. These are high-performance, low-maintenance deep fryers that feature the heat source in the oil. Your oil heats from the inside out. If your family loves a fish fry, Cajun Fryer is a must. Because the heat source is suspended in the oil, small crumbs and pieces that burn fall to the bottom. So your oil stays much cleaner, many times lasting the entire year. Often imitated, never duplicated. Don't be fooled. Take a look at the original Cajun Fryer at CajunFryer.com. Fresh, crisp, delicious every time. CajunFryer.com Do you love to crappie fish much as I do? Hey, Mr. Crappie, Wally Marshall inviting you and your family to the Crappie Expo in Shreveport, Boulder City, October 1, 2, 3. The Crappie Expo is for everyone that loves to fish. More than 100 crappie fishing exhibits feature today's top gear, boats, electronics, and much more. The Mr. Crappie Invitational features the top 100 teams in America going head-to-head in the Red River Shootout Crappie Tournament. A quarter of a million is up for grabs. The richest crappie tournament in history. Don't miss the world's largest crappie fry at 11 o'clock on Saturday the 2nd. Fried crappie, taters, hush puppies, mmm, mmm. I'm also giving away $10,000 on Saturday and again on Sunday. You must be at the Crappie Expo to win. Cash is king. Crappie Expo 2021 is brought to you by Ford Trucks, Lose, Strike King, Riceland Rice Bran Oil, Humminbird, The Boat Shop, and Bayou Outdoors Superstore. CrappieExpo.com. Hey, CrappieExpo.com. Wow. Every animal that has ever roamed this planet was designed as hunted or hunter predator or prey we are hunters if it were ever necessary even the strictest vegan would return to the wild driven to survive by the instincts of his ancestors 
those who hide behind the soft delusion of their own ignorance, do so from within a civilization whose very being costs the lives of countless creatures every single day. Death is an undeniable fuel of life. This is the undeniable truth of existence. To live in balance with the planet that sustains us, we must admit and embrace the nature within us. Trust the hunter in your blood. along this is where heritage is guarded just for them kinder outdoors Corey mason is the executive director of the dallas safari club prior to that he was a wildlife biologist for the state of texas and did a very important dove hunting study a few years back and let's talk about first of all so people just get an idea this wasn't a, a three-week deal where hey let's do this study next weekend in the dove patch this took a while it did. This study probably took about four years from uh, initiation through execution of all the gathering of field data from contractors to load development to the studies on the front end to determine what is the most common lo load used by Texas dove hunters to load development to training of observers, all the data collection. And then we had to compile and we had to write this beautiful manuscript that ultimately went to a scientific peer review journal for publication. Wow, very cool. Well, let's, let's break it down a little bit. What were you studying? What was what was the the point of this? You bet. So with the recognition of all these ongoing at the time conversations, criticisms, and the use of uh, lead shot for a number of species of birds, recognizing the volume of lead shot that is shot at dove, and then specifically recognizing the importance of dove hunting to the state of Texas, being the most hunters participating in the highest harvest state from a from a dove hunter perspective, um, Texas felt an encumbrant to take some proactive steps. If we rewind the clock a little bit and we saw what happened with the integration at that point in time in the late 80s from a waterfowl standpoint, it was really a mess and a kind of a list of how not to do anything in much of those. When a federal judge said you will shift to non-toxic shot or you will not hunt waterfowl, that's really the decision that came yeah. down. And so not necessarily at all in the same position, but Texas being the leader in conservation, Texas Parks and Wildlife wanted to proactively answer the question of should we be forced to go to a non-toxic shot alternative, what would the impacts be from a conservation and from a hunter perspective from the lethality of non-toxic shot compared to what we know is the most commonly used shot, as well as wounding rates? Because there were lots of perceptions, some true, some not, about wounding rates as well. And so that still lingered around. And so we wanted to really scientifically address those two questions. And let's do that now. Let's, uh, we have the benefit now of all this research behind us so we can take a look at these uh, results. Tell me, what is the choice of most Texas hunters? What shot shell are they buying down at Bass Pro Shop or wherever? So the most commonly used uh, is an ounce and an eighth, seven and a half shot. Okay. And so that uh, research was done in Texas, but this is going to apply wherever doves are hunted pretty much. Um, and... Then steel shot, uh, so if I'm participating in your study and you give me shells to use and I don't want the law to change and you give me steel shot, 
I might miss a bird or two or three or ten on purpose to make that shot look bad. Yeah, we were keenly aware of people's perspectives going into it. Um, and so we had, whenever we knew the most commonly used dove load by Texas dove hunters, uh, again, many, many thousands of them, uh, and so we wanted to ballistically try to develop a load that was most comparable to that. Um, and that was a one-ounce seven and a one-ounce six steel. Um, and so from a pattern performance, from lethality, efficiency, all of that. And so all the while those codes, those, those loads were developed, and they were only known by an extremely small number of people. Those people were not in the field. Observers nor shooters did not know what they took to the field. And so all of these, these shot shells looked exactly the same externally. They were the same everything. And so the only difference in it was a color that was painted onto them and a number code that was given to that. Like, for example, it might be 123R, red, or something like that. But the observer nor the shooter did not know what that was. So when you went to the field, the importance of that is is no one had the ability to influence the study in a kind of quote-unquote positive or negative way. Rather, the observers were trained on the front end for several days, like four days, on bird behavior, the subtleties of uh, how a bird behaves when someone shoots in front, when someone shoots below, when someone shoots above, the subtleties of a bird that's, that's lightly struck. You know, for example, that dove, as soon as you shoot, when he flies and lands in a tree immediately, oftentimes that bird's struck lightly. Uh, all of these subtleties uh, and how to record data properly, how to measure chokes. You know, we didn't take, for example, if you're shooting your your Benelli that it says modified on the side. Well, that doesn't really doesn't mean a lot. We want to measure that to 0.736 or whatever that number was so then we could compare that across all manufacturers and make. So we took painstaking detail in making sure that the data that was recorded it was the best it could be. So uh, you say these observers were trained. Obviously, these observers were in the field with the hunters. That's exactly right. And all of these were natural resource professionals. Uh, most of them were Texas Parks and Wildlife. At the time, we had some NRCS conservation professionals uh, as well that joined uh, the Parks and Wildlife staff in the field. Uh, they, were, they were trained uh, and they were tested. And they were tested until they could receive the right level of competency to record data. And then every time they went to the field, so the procedure would be something like, from a checkout stand, we had an ammo depot that was locked, secured, and um, in fact, in the morning before they went out to the morning hunt, the observer would retrieve what was given to them uh, from a randomized block design scientific study. This was their lot of ammo. Then they would keep that in their possession in their bag. They would take that to the field with their, with their uh, paired hunter. And then when they sat down, the shooter made sure it went through all of the hunter's, uh, you know, clothing, bucket, whatever they had, that there was no other ammunition. Hmm. Then they would, they would control the distribution of the ammunition to the hunter. Wow. Not, in, in fact, in the way that they hunt, but rather to ensure they were only shooting that, you know, that ammunition. And then the observer was right over the shoulder, if you will, of the shooter. And, in fact, whenever it looked at wounding rates and retrievability rates, the observer did not even help at all. If the, you know, if the guy, the man or the woman shot the bird and obviously immediately killed it and it fell, there was no, you know, there's no guidance on great shot or nothing. They were literally there recording. Three steps to your right, whatever. None of that. Because yeah. we also wanted to determine the ability of people to, to determine and retrieve birds. Yeah. Uh, so obviously much of that is an influence of the environment in which you're hunting in. More you know? from wildlife biologist Corey Mason and his very comprehensive dove hunting study that he did a few years ago for the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department. Right now, let's go to the great state of Minnesota, though, and talk to Colo, Jeff Kolodzinski, the marathon man. He was busy catching fish and raising money 
for first responders and military families a week ago. Let's get a wrap-up on it now. In a nutshell, Jeff, how did it turn out? How did it go? In order to serve our military families and our first responders, I decided that I was going to fish for 24 hours straight and try to better a world record for most fish caught in 24 hours. And, again, catch 2,977 fish for every life lost on, on 9-11. Uh, Billy, fans, mission accomplished. Praise the Lord. I'll tell you what, I was worried going in. <laughs> I, was, I was more than worried. Um, but, you know, I was able to get the uh, 2,977 fish uh, with about two hours to go. And I looked at the crowd that was assembled behind me. It was so awesome. We had first responder <laughs> trucks, fire trucks, a whole sea of people back there. And I said, hey, when, when I get this last fish, we're inclined to celebrate. I said, today really isn't celebration. There's people that are mourning. In order to be honorable and appropriate to them, let's take a minute of silence. Caught the last fish, took a minute of silence. And then, you know, I, I, it was an awkward kind of audible, Billy, because there were about two hours left. And, and I just said, you know what? I, we signed up for this mission to serve people for 24 hours as a message of encouragement to our military families and our first responders. And when the first responders went into those towers, they knew it was happening. They didn't quit. And, and I'm not quitting either. It was a time where <laughs> I saw grown men, battle-hardened men, Billy, turn and walk away to compose themselves. You know, yeah. I'm a terrible person. Everybody on the bank was crying, so I must be an evil guy. Uh, <laughs> but it was, uh, it was so touching. And, you know, the fire chiefs there from around the community came to support it, and they were so glad. And we met our mark. We, we, we did that, and then some. And, you know, it was a fundraising goal also of $100,000. We're a little bit short of that. Still taking donations now at MarathonManFishing.com. But it was one of the five best days of my entire life, serving those people as it came out. So, do you have a total? How many fish? Uh, I do. Now, this is where where silly goes to stupid, Billy. So, you know, 2977 was the, the goal. Uh, ended it with 3,168 fish. And mind you, I'm baiting the hook, taking them off myself, but that is 3,000 fish in 24 hours. Hi, I'm Walter Parrott. And when I'm not in the great outdoors, I'm thinking about it with Kinder Outdoors. U.S. Highway 287 carries elk hunters and fly fishers. Snow skiers and bird dog chasers, 72-ounce steak eaters, varied Cadillac picture takers, antelopers, prairie doggers, and rattlesnakers. The Herdware Store sits on Highway 287 near Goodnight, Texas. Now, only 18 people live around here, so to keep the lights turned on, we need you 287 travelers to stop by. Come in out of the weather and take a look at the most unique store between the Gulf and Pacific coasts. One-of-a-kind artwork, jewelry, knives, and more. Feel the luxurious softness and warmth of bison socks, gloves, hats, beanies, blankets, and scarves. You'll think it's cashmere, and it's warmer than wool. Our sister company, Buffalo Wool, produces the finest bison products on the planet. The herdware store is boots and shoes, bison blankets and throws, even bison meats for the road. The herdware store, 42 miles southeast of Amarillo. Hey, drop by right now at herdware.net. Hey, I want to let you know about something that's brand new and coming to South Dakota this fall, the Dead Rabbit Lodge. (laughs) You see, the owner received his higher learning from the University of South Dakota, the Coyotes. 
the dreaded enemy of the University of South Dakota Coyotes, is the South Dakota State University Jackrabbits. Therefore, the name, the Dead Rabbit. The Dead Rabbit Lodge sits on the eastern bluffs of Big Blue Lake Oahe. The view from your giant Western Canada Red Cedar Lodging stretches from the dam to the south almost all the way up to North Dakota. The Big Lodge is finest splendor from top to bottom, perfect for big family or corporate groups. But the Dead Rabbit will also feature separate hotel-style rooms, a great game room and bar for entertaining, guest-only dining featuring the Rabbit's award-winning chef, oh, and about 40,000 acres of the finest pheasant hunting in the world. You won't forget the Dead Rabbit. Ag Texas. The name itself says trust, honesty, strength, and tradition. Ag Texas has from the get-go been dedicated to the prosperity of agriculture and rural America. The Ag Texas family can help grow your herd or your operation. Give us a call and talk to Ag Texas pros about risk management in the form of crop insurance, protecting borrowed capital and savings. We specialize in everything from dairy cows to pecan trees. And have the right financial tools and knowledge at Ag Texas to help you grow and grow safely. We can't tell you when it's going to rain again, but we can assure that your crop, your cows, your family, and the family land are secure and protected no matter the storm or the dry spell. We are agriculture at Ag Texas, and we look forward to visiting with you. Ag Texas is at agtexas.com and just down the road. Winter at the lake is a wonderful thing. The still, quiet solace of the woods and water at Grapevine Lake offer the perfect opportunity to slow the season down a bit. Tucked away behind a secure gated entry and snuggled on the still shore of Grapevine Lake is the national award-winning Vineyards Campground and Cabins. Full hookups, lightning-fast Wi-Fi, and cable TV at every campsite and cabin keep you connected, even when you're getting away. The vineyard sites and fully furnished cabins are the perfect place to kick off the new year and enjoy the great outdoors. Our unique location makes you feel far away from the hustle and bustle when you're just a few blocks from historic downtown Grapevine, the Christmas capital of Texas, offering shops, restaurants, and all the sights and sounds of the season. Cozy cabins, spacious pull-through sites, and a camp store on site to provide whatever you need. Always keeping your health and safety a priority. Come enjoy nature's original way to social distance. Come see us this winter. The Vineyards Campground and Cabins. VineyardsCampground.com camped on the ground and in five-star lodges. I've never found a more welcome camp than this one, Kinder Outdoors. Hey, thank you so much for hanging out at our campfire with us here at Kinder Outdoors. Come see us at kinderoutdoors.com, K-I-N-D-E-R. You could win one of those really cool-looking Kinder Outdoors T-shirts. It's a simple registration at the website. And if you need to call us, we're always around 877 820 BBKO 877-820-2256. Let's get back to Corey Mason. Corey, thank you for uh, for hanging around. Corey Mason, talking about that dove study, that dove hunting study that he did for the state of Texas when he worked for the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department as a wildlife biologist. 
Um, you know, when I was in Argentina, we, I had an observer like that. He, he uh, sat there on a bucket next to me and handed me my shells all day long. It was really great. Exactly. This was a little different than that. Uh, <laughs> in there with a the data sheet. <laughs> yeah, this was a whole lot different than that. Uh, I want to get to the results of steel shot, lead shot in a minute. But first of all, what about the birds? What did you do with them? Yeah, that's a great question. So every every shot that was taken, even and then we'll get to the bird in a second, every shot that was taken, an outcome was um, was determined and recorded on this data sheet that we had built, and so it was the you know it was a it was a hit or miss, um, and if a bird was taken, it was it was was the bird dead or immobile within uh, 30 seconds, and then or was the bird immobilized, and then obviously was the bird wounded? Was it lost? Was it just completely missed? There were several criteria there, categories in which the observer would record, as well as the distance of every single shot and the choke in which that shot was shot through. Hmm. And obviously the ammunition was, was a known at that point in time. Um, and if a bird was taken, was shot, and retrieved, then a, a metal tag was affixed to the leg on that bird. And the importance of that metal tag with a, with a number that was inscribed in that is then that showed on a radiograph, more specifically an x-ray. And there was a paper tag as well that recorded a series of, of information the shooter number, the observer number, the load, the distance, the choke, the result, as well as the direction of flight. Now, here's where it gets really important as well. So we would record if it was left to right, right to left, overhead, away, income, or all of those kinds of things. And then when that bird, if it was dead or mobile within 30 seconds or retrieved, every bird was fully necropted, which means every single bird was fully defeathered. The number of pellets, depth of penetration of every single pellet, if a vital for life organ was struck, um, head, vertebra, any of that, wow. it was all recorded on an anatomically correct chart in every single pellet recorded. Hmm. And then that bird was radiographed or x-rayed. So then we could look at the flight path of the bird. So we would know if it was a right-to-left crosser, for example. The, uh, and then within the um, um, x-ray, essentially, could determine or prove or falsify if the bird had been struck earlier in the day or by another hunter. So, for example, if all the pellets should be moving from right to left, but then there were some number of pellets that had crossed through the bird or were lodged in the bird in a different direction, the bird was not used in the study because the bird was not killed with one shot. He'd been hit earlier. He'd been hit earlier, and there was some effect there from a prior strike, and so we didn't want to assume anything. We were only interested in lethality and wounding rates of birds that were taken with that particular load. That is so phenomenal. I, I want everyone to get to uh, come to the website, kinderoutdoors.com, K-I-N-D-E-R, just like kindergarten, and take a look at the photo that we put up there actually from this study and the, uh, and the minute detail, like choke size, everything that you guys painfully recorded to do this, uh, this dove study. So after immersing yourself in this for four years, five years, however long, uh, are you a better dove shot now? You know, I know a whole lot about necropsy and dove. I don't know if I'm a better shot or not. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty phenomenal stuff. Um, and this is recent. Uh, this is re this is a recent study. This is not from four decades ago. This is just a few years back. That's exactly right. So the information is highly relevant. All the information associated with retrieving rates and wounding rates and the efficiency of the ammunition is is very very relevant. Yeah. So let's talk about lead and steel. We all know steel don't work. You can't kill a dove with steel. You're going to wound too many birds, Corey. What's the outcome? Yeah, so that was certainly what we were working from with many of those assumptions and those conversations taking place. And, again, as a quick refresh, 
from a from a uh, a survey we had done on the front end, you know, we determined that the average Texas dove hunter was shooting that ounce and an eighth of lead shot of seven and a half. And so, in the study, we used two other comparison loads: a steel one ounce seven and a steel one ounce six. And so, after thousands of rounds fired and all these randomized block designs and, and statistical analysis. Statistically speaking, there was no difference in the three loads from lead to steel, even across the sizes of shot, and wounding or lethality. Wow. No difference. No difference, statistically speaking, exactly. Wow, that is amazing. What about gauges? Did you guys shoot all 12 gauge or what? We did for simplicity because if we broke it down by sub gauge, uh, we would have to randomize and do every single component again. Yeah. And so we wanted to achieve, again, recognizing that most Texas dove hunters do shoot a 12-gauge. That was part of our study on the front end as well. And so we did straight 12-gauge. So the guys that, uh, the, the shooters that you recruited uh, to go out in the field and help you do this research, where would you find them? That's a great question. So we did this two years uh, from the full study perspective as well as a pilot year where we were testing the data and the sheets and all of that kind of things. Um, but the first year we uh, essentially joined hunters that had paid to go on a, a commercial dove hunt. And so we had that sort of population of dove, hunter, dove hunters, those that pay to go commercially. Assuming that maybe there is a more of an affinity to hunt more, maybe shoot more, some kind of imply a few things there. Get their money's worth. Exactly. But on the other side, so recognizing that, again, we wanted to test every metric possible. Um, and so secondarily, the second year, we invited, we looked at the, the sampling universe of hunters that had bought a public dove, uh, an annual public hunt, essentially hunted on public land, yeah. and then further that purchased uh, a migratory stamps that hunted doves specifically. And so then we invited them to join on this hunt as to be the shooting participant. So from a sample perspective, again, first year we had those that paid to commercially hunt. On the second year, we used public dove hunters, mm -hmm. but yet we invited them to hunt on the, under these uh, you know, on these private fields so we could control the environment from a ammo distribution and all those kind of things. And so we had an extremely representative sample of the dove hunting community. And so uh, do you recall any similarities, differences? Were they just about the same, the commercial hunter, the public land hunter? They really were. As far as from an efficiency standpoint, essentially speaking, no differences. Wow. What an interesting study, and I'm sure if folks want to read more in depth and learn more, they can find this online. Absolutely. So we produced some informational pamphlets with Parks and Wildlife at the time. Uh, the scientific paper is out there as well. Uh, they went through scientific rigorous review process and, and came out on the back end. There were a couple of my colleagues, that Mr. Jay Roberson, that initiated this study uh, through turning, turning it over through a transition period there and then me taking it from there, my colleague Mike Frisbee with Parks and Wildlife, and then uh, dear friend and colleague, Dr. Brian Pierce at Texas A&M that helped us extremely from the from the statistical side. So yeah, it was a, it was a huge team team effort. Very good. Hey, that is so cool and a whole lot of fun. Uh, if you want to read it, check it out online, and we'll try to link up to that at uh, KinderOutdoors.com. Corey, thanks a lot. You're you're a lot smarter than you look. You know that. <laughs> I don't know about that. Thank you, Billy. Kid, no, I'm kidding. Good to see you. Thank you, sir. You too. Corey Mason, executive director of the Dallas Safari Club, is a wildlife biologist who has done some very important work, and it's great to be able to tap into his vast knowledge whenever we need to, want to. He's also a board member with the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation, important guy in the outdoor world. Well, hey, we're all out of time, but I do want to thank you for hanging out with us today at our campfire. I invite you back next time around. I also want to 
thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for the time we have together here at this old camp house each week. Pray for our nation. Pray that this evil virus would be laid low by the good Lord himself. Pray for each other and come see us again here at Kinder Outdoors. Until next time, may God bless you and your bunch. Good morning. I'm Lieutenant Colonel David Snodgrass from the United States Air Force. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all.